Welcome to Rock Steady, an Express North podcast. And now our host, Dr. Fran Bartkowski. Welcome to Rock Steady at Express Newark at Rutgers University, Newark. My guest today is Associate Professor Jennifer Bernstein of the Department of Arts, Culture, and Media, and she is on our Faculty of Graphic Design in that department. And she and her colleagues in graphic design, who you, some of whom you have heard from on Rocksteady, um, were among the original visionaries of what Express Newark would become, could become, and will yet become, um, because she also co-directs um, to the studio projects there, the Design Consortium and Visual Means. Um, Jennifer is a graduate of Brown University as an undergrad and has an MFA from Yale. And she came to Rutgers Newark having been teaching at Pratt Institute. Um, she is also the founder of Level Design Group and both in her solo work and in her work with Level, um, is the recipient of many of the most prestigious awards in the field of graphic design. I could go on and on there, but I'll also just say some of Jennifer's work that I've most enjoyed discovering is her work in film and typography. Um, that some of us look at with real interest and other people never notice um, in terms of film and graphic design. One of Jennifer's most recent accomplishments is to be a Mellon Fellow at Rutgers Newark. And that is a fellowship that's about training junior, younger cohorts of leaders in higher education. So welcome. Jennifer, I've been so looking forward to having you as a guest. Well, Fran, what a lovely introduction. Thank you so much. And it's, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. And um, you know, and others who've been listening to Rocksteady know that, you know, our conversations begin in the present. And we are now in such a different present than where I began in September of 2020. So I'll just say for whenever this goes out uh, into the air, into the live world, um, we're now at the end of June in 2021. And for some of us in this world, we're beginning to live something of a present that is a near post pandemic consciousness or reality, at least post in terms of vaccination and the way that that has changed our daily lives. Um, nevertheless, we're still here on Zoom, not in person. And that's been how this has gone on actually from almost the very beginning. Um, but Jennifer, talk about, if you would, your present, and you can frame that present from now back some months to, you know, this very moment, but how has COVID, Corona time, pandemic life, 
what sort of effects have you felt and experienced and lived with professionally, for sure, personally, if you care to say, um, what's this present been like for you? Sure. Wow. That's a lot. It's a lot to think about. So I would say a lot of kind of reinvention in mm. a way, mm. um, sort of, you know, and not something that I'm sure all of us haven't had to do. But, um, you know, whether it was last spring when the pandemic happened and sort of shifting everything that we were doing, um, I was teaching the senior studio class that semester. Um, across from Rebecca Jan Paul, you know, really important project where our students are creating their capstones and that work is so uh, meaningful to them mm. and how to sort of shift that and continue to nurture and support them. And at the same time, realizing that we had to try to kind of adjust our expectations, adjust how we did things. Um, so really being, I guess, flexible and, um, and I guess resilient. But, but also accepting that there were, there were bumps. So I'd say from, from that point of view and then going on to teach again in the fall remotely, um, I think summoning even more energy. So mm -hmm. one of the things that I, you know, I, many people don't know this, but I actually come from a theater background and I often think about how everything that I do kind of ties back to not only a longstanding love of, of academia and just learning, but the fact that I was a theater person who abandoned it for many reasons that I would never go back. But I do feel that teaching is the performative aspects of teaching is something that I really found myself having to further enhance, almost as if, you know, how a stage actor might have to have their moves be much larger than a film actor. So in the, in the classroom, in the studio setting, I, I find myself, you know, acting out typography, expressing mm. verbally with my voice and my body how I want students to react to whatever I'm saying. And so one of the things that I really noticed on Zoom instruction, instruction was how I, I kind of went overboard. <laughs> you know, I sort of oh. did what I would do. I didn't act for film. You know what I'm saying? I really right. felt that, that right. kind of over expression, like what I'm doing with my hands right now and my voice would be, I needed that. I needed to sort of summon their energy. And so I felt that I had to be especially animated. And because that sense of connecting with them um, is so important, you know, when we're teaching and was so much more difficult. I'd say on the personal front, um, so, you know, you talked about my studio and so my studio has been remote. Both of my children have been remote. I have a high schooler who's, you know, going to be a senior next year and a 10-year-old a who just graduated from elementary school. So we definitely have, we had elementary school, high school, design studio, and educator teaching all in one New York City, Brooklyn apartment. <laughs> so that has definitely been um, a challenge, but, you know, one we really, I think, handled pretty well and, um, you know. I'm grateful we were able to to kind of make the space for that that juggling. Yeah, yeah, and I I like reinvention, the word you used right at the beginning. Um, you know, one kept hearing so much about pivoting, and I understand how that word took up the space it did. It really described a kind of sudden 
turn, right? But reinvention, I think, is what we were given, we were forced to have time and space because reinvention sort of opens the zone, right, for what you're going to do to step forward into it. And resilience, oh my goodness, you know, none of us can have enough resilience called for for getting through this period and on into whatever comes next for us. Um, so were there Express Newark projects or Rutgers projects that you were in the process of that you were able to either continue or reinvent remotely that you want to tell us about that you're proud of or that were challenging, more challenging than they might have been? Yeah, absolutely. So there were sort of two things going on for me. One of them was, um, so you talked about visual means. And, you know, so these two initiatives um, at Express Newark are so important to my colleagues, um, Ned and Chantal and I, and how we've embedded them into our curriculum. Um, and just for people who don't know about them, these are student faculty creative studios that are rooted in collaboratively engaged design process. And they're, you know, the idea is that designers and collaborate with the community or organizations, educational institutes, and, and partner to achieve a common goal. So um, for our students on some level, they give a quasi-professional experience, you know, a sense of what is it like to work in a design studio? We're all collaborating. It's not as if, you know, the teacher is not taking, uh, the, the professor is not quite taking that sort of teacherly role in the same way. They're, you know, more of the creative director, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, who we work with are not clients. Um, there are collaborators. So there's this really wonderful um, way of both providing an experience that is more somewhat professional for our students, but also really giving them an understanding of what their role as a designer can be. That, you know, the design field is great and there's so many different ways you can live that life mm -hmm. and what kind of work you choose to do, what kind of entity you choose to work within. And so, there's so much there. And um, in this case, obviously for us, what we feel as, you know, as part of Rutgers Newark, as, as individuals, um, you know, the ability to further causes and issues that we believe are important through our work and, and really discovering what those are and learning mm. about them in such a way because of the collaboration that we wouldn't if we were just, you know, a client-designer relationship is always collaborative to some extent. But then you have the, you know, the client is always right. You know, you have the sense that someone is paying you and, you know, and so this work is really rooted in research. It's rooted in discovery. It's, it's rooted in um, not knowing where you're going to get to. Mm, um, so, nice. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so with this, so I guess the, I can kind of talk about two things. I'm going to kind of come back to one of them because it has a longer story. Um, but I'll talk a little bit about, about both and then, and then kind of circle back. So a project that I was working on, um, you know, when the pandemic happened and, and even before that um, is a collaboration with Professor David Trout um, in the law school, who's the, the director of the Center for Law Inequality and Metropolitan Equity, also known as CLIME. And this is a project where he has been, you know, doing amazing work with the city, really trying to 
um, you know, to affect policy changes. And part of that had developed the methodology called the Displacement Risk Indicators Matrix, which looked at 11 different factors in three different main thematic categories, understand, trying to understand how those aspects um, indicated the risk of displacement. So I'm summarizing, um, you know, a great deal, but in right. essence, how, did, how does graphic design come to help shape that question, those sets of questions? Exactly. So, so the starting of this was, was me approaching um, teaching visual means and that, that, en- that entity is really focused more on visualizing research and mm-hmm. working with things like data. And so I had, I had approached, approached Peter Englott saying that I was really interested in finding someone to collaborate with, some data to work with that would be impactful and important to Newark. And so he, you know, wonderfully introduced me to Professor Kraut. And so we started working together. He started, um, he came, you know, multiple times over the source of course of the semester to Express Newark to meet the students to talk about the challenges that he had with expressing this information. And so we we spent quite a long time really explore trying to learn and understand the data. Um, he would give us perspectives on what he was struggling with or things that he was trying to get to that what he the way that he was working with that data or expressing those stories were not getting to. And so over the course of that time we explored many different options of how we might um, express that data and what we would do with it that would enhance its impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. the thing that really was amazing for me was one of the things that he said to us early on was, he said, you know, where's the pain and suffering? You know, where is it? Mm-hmm. And so there was mm-hmm. this really amazing experience where we realized that, you know, we were making all kinds of, you know, certainly expressive and beautiful things, but not the things that didn't necessarily get to this point yet. And when we started hitting on how do we express the human side of the story, that was where I think we Mm. really started honing in and focusing in on how do we need to take this information and tell a story with it that would bring much more than what the numbers could show. Right, right. Yes. And that's, I mean, I've been very struck by that, knowing about the, this kind of work that you and Ned and Chantal have been engaged in and this notion of sort of graphic journalism, especially in COVID, because we've been given graphs and bar charts and you know visual expressions of these numbers that are impossible to take in. But I think we've all come to some education about where is the pain and suffering in in, in statistics and data. That's really so, um, I think, something we've all been sort of learning about. And this project, in terms of how to make that very local pain and suffering, inequality, equity, in our metropolis, how to make that seen. what a stunning project. Yeah. Um, yeah, and in fact, the tagline that we came up with for the project was, you know, the data is not numbers, just numbers. It represents people, you know, and really trying to sort of, I hope I'm quoting it correctly, um, you know, really trying to make that transition. And so 
the things that we did and we started to to work with were really looking to the city itself as a way to visualize. And I think this was also, you know, influenced a lot by um, Professor Trout's, you know, research and really talking about place and how important that is. And so in the end, the main visualization we are working with is really using the city, the shape of the city itself, mm-hmm. and letting that be the data. Mm-hmm. So that when people look at it, New Yorkers, they identify right away that, you know, that's my city. I know this neighborhood. I know that neighborhood. Now, in addition to that, I'm paraphrasing and, you know, simplifying this. Um, we also started to think about integrating stories from Newark residents, hearing from people. Mm-hmm. And so part of the project and, and one of the things to get the struggle that we've had over the pandemic was that I think when the pandemic sort of started, I, we had just, the students and I had just started interviewing people. And we had, you know, and of course, this is not our forte. Um, this is something that, you know, so we developed a questionnaire. The first thing we did was go to one of the Newark high schools. We thought, well, if we re- if we interview high school students, maybe that will help lead us to their parents. And then mm. we went to a, a chart, a magnet school that had people from all over um, the, the city because we really wanted to have, let's say, five to six interviews or audio stories, if you will, from each ward. Right. And so we started that process. And then that was really we did six interviews or five interviews before the pandemic. And then we kind of got, you know, kind of shut down or not really sure how we were going to proceed. Um, So so there's a there's a lot that we've done. Um, We did develop a whole campaign of of print materials that would go with this web experience that we're um, we're hoping to build. But it kind of got put on hold at that point. And so um, I've been really trying to figure out how to how to move it forward. But Mm -hmm. really, um, you know, I've been very stubborn and unwilling to uh, to give it up. And so, so that is, you know, that is still like, I, I feel that it's in a pause, but it's, I hope, hope not a permanent one. Um, I think something to say is that this kind of work is something that I'm just personally very interested in, in terms mm-hmm. of my own research. Um, and, and actually I'm, I'm going to have be on sabbatical in the fall. And what I really want to do with that time in part is to further explore this kind of work and also tr- further train myself to, you know, something that I um, kind of brought or uh, reinvigorated when I came to Rutgers was, was really um, getting our students to learn basic HTML, CSS, and really seeing that coding and an understanding of not software per se, but actually what's underneath the software to some extent allows students to be able to create or any of us to create or think in a different way. And so there's a level of that that we do, you know, with our graphic design students, which is not only great for them professionally, but also lets them think differently. And I think part of my struggles with this project too is not being able to go in and code and build this thing that we have envisioned. And so part of what I want to do on my sabbatical is actually try to try to learn more of that so that I can do, I can be more um, self-sufficient and also bring that more into our curriculum. Mm, that's great. Um, yeah. Another, I'll just say one other quick thing, another project, um, just speaking again of visual means from this past year, now I'm kind of going to the fall, is a, a collaboration with uh, with Mary, the Meadowlands Environmental Research Institute. Um, and so 
what visual means does is work with different collaborators, usually on a semester by semester or year by year basis. So this was a, a semester long project to learn about the Institute and to um, essentially help them rebrand themselves, mm. really looking at what their strategic goals are and what they, who are they are trying to reach. And so I worked with my students um, for the fall semester and, and also brought Chantal in because Chantal and I had planned already that I would teach the fall and really spearhead the identity. And then Chantal would teach in the spring and continue with it. So the two of us have been kind of, you know, jumping into each other's processes along the way. So there were, um, in any case, so that was the project that Visual Means and I um, focused on. So we worked really closely with the team at Mary, um, with the director, Francisco Artigas, and with the scientists there, and tried to unpack what it was that we saw they are currently doing in their materials and identity and what they want to do, and then trying to envision a new identity, and then along with it, the, you know, the collateral materials and things that will be built out of it, um, because that's really the work that we do is about how do we get to the strategic goal. So again, very collaborative. Um, and so that project at this point is near the identity is done. There's a lot of um, other materials that have been created with it. And now we're kind of looking to a larger project that will be in the future that's, um, you know, again, something that will grow out of that. But that's kind of in a, in a point of completion to some extent. And were your students also involved in this work with Mary or was that you and Sean? Yeah, they were. So this oh, yes, was yes. also part of the curriculum. That's. Uh, yes. You know, so that was our fall visual. Uh, so fall and spring right. visual means this semester right. was collaborating with, with right. Mary. So That's I let it so... in the fall, Chantal let it in the spring. And so we built, we, we kind of built out from this kind of analysis and identity to Chantal working on extending that identity and building out the collateral, you know, the print materials, the, you know, ideas for how the website could be changed, social media, you know, there's many things that, um, that she then did. And again, we're hoping to, um, you know, roll out, but that's, we're kind of at the point now where we're discussing with Mary, um, how things will continue. And actually Mary hired two of our students who were part of this project as interns this summer. That's so, so great. Yeah. yeah. And I also, you know, both these projects, um, the one with Professor Trout at Climb and this one, I love how this brings the arts to the sciences and to the law school. I mean, those are, you know, just in terms of my interdisciplinary mind and loves and passions, that is just so, you know, brilliantly inspirational um, in terms of the place of the arts in people's education, not to mention in their lives and the things they come to understand about how the world works or doesn't work and why it doesn't work. Um, yeah, well, absolutely. You know, I'll just say that this, um, you know, in, in terms of thinking about um, the present, You've also taken us back somewhat in time in terms of the past of some of the kinds of things that you and your colleagues have done with the fact that Express Newark came to be 
in our world. Um, and that Express Newark will come back to life in the coming months. Um, and I would love to hear you speculate on futures that you are passionate about, excited about, you know, reinvention. I think some of that is going to absolutely be called for just because we've been literally shut down. That space, that hive, that hum of activity and creation and making and space has been quiet for the most part. What do you what do you dream of? What do you see? What do you want to come back with? Bouncing back, resilient. Well, I mean, let me just say, I'm delighted for you that you have a sabbatical in fall to really stop and take on some new things you want to learn. That's very exciting to hear about. If you want to say more about that, um, but then you'll come back in January, and the doors, I hope, will have been flung open. So take us to where your mind goes at the thought of that. It is, it is almost, it, it, it's, it's possible to imagine, but it's also in a strange way hard to imagine. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I mean, in, in many ways, I felt, and I, I'm sure others did as well, that there was almost a sense of time warp that has happened. Um, the compression, the extent, you know, the sense of time the sense of, of where we are at different moments. I mean, things are definitely feeling, as you said, more recognizable um, to us. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think some really important experiences that um, I would say broke that up and mm -hmm. also are things that I, you know, I'm obviously really passionate about are things like the Murals for Justice Newark project which I know you've talked about on other podcasts and my colleagues, I'm, I'm sure, have, you know, have also talked about it and, um, you know, a collaboration with, you know, with parts of our city, with parts of, with colleagues and that kind of, you know, people coming together to collaborate and work together, which is obviously, I think, uh, the simple answer to why the work we do in visual means and design consortium is so important. I guess I just want more of that, um, you know, whether it's something very experiential and physical, like what we did with the murals project and there, you know, and there's more murals going on and that sense of coming together and that collaboration really changing how we know each other, learn about each other, understand one another. You know, to me, that um, was really impactful and really important. Um, and I think the thing that it brings up too is is exactly what we're doing right here. You know, this this opportunity for conversation, this opportunity for dialogue. And so we've all been talking to each other through Zoom, and I think that we can get a lot out of that. And we know how important it is. We've fought to keep our connections to each other because yeah. those are so important. And yet, just being able to to really see how how all of us can create opportunities for dialogue, for collaboration. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that Express Newark is, is at its, is at its heart, right. um, which is right. why I love it so much. Um, so I guess that's something that I really am excited about. And 
this, the other thing I'll say, and this is a little bit, um, this is talking about the future. So even though I'm on sabbatical, because I'm uh, one of the Mellon Fellows, I will be around in September because we, my, um, so I should say Executive Vice Chancellor Sherry Ann Butterfield, John Gunkel, um, Jack Lynch, and then my, my two colleagues, Professor Domingo Morel and Professor Jason Cortez. The three of us with the Chancellor's Office have been developing a project, um, and of course with Chancellor Cantor, that will be part of commemorating the 75th anniversary of Rutgers Newark's designation as a public institution of higher education, which is in 2021. So something that we have been doing is um, developing a project um, that is really with the goal of trying to continue our role at the university in creating opportunities for critical dialogue, especially at a time when, you know, our, our nation is really still reckoning with these deep racial, political, and ideological polarization, we are, again, sort of called upon as, a, as an anchor institution to provide this space for dialogue. So what we have been working on with the Chancellor's Office is uh, a week-long series of events that we're calling Dialogue in a Time of Fracture. Uh, we we chose the word fracture because after much thought, we realized that polarization just didn't feel strong enough. Um, so so this project is about dialogue. The, mm. the, the entire week is going to be focused on um, hopefully bringing the entire university to focus on these issues. Um, and maybe I'll just talk a little bit. This is not something that has been sort of advertised yet or, or out in the public sphere, but I can tell you a little bit about what we're planning. Mm -hmm. The programming is going to involve six different roundtables with Rutgers Newark scholars and others around these different topics. Um, there's also a series of what we're calling mini TED style talks that we are, we've envisioned to kind of focus on six different aspects um, that are kind of central to the dialogue. We sort of, and, and with the TED talks, our goal is to, um, find partners, partner experts in the university who will essentially um, spearhead that conversation by creating this mini TED style talk about a topic, and then we those will be part of almost curriculum that mm. will then be used by faculty who, during this week long series of events, we will be collaborating with to lead a workshop in their classrooms you know, from their perspective of their discipline, using one of these mini TED Talks as kind of a point of departure. So, for example, we have one that's going to focus on race and ethnicity. We have another on gender and sexuality. I won't say all of them and others about unconscious bias. So each of these will then be, um, you know, the, the workshop will be facilitated by the faculty member. And then the students themselves will be responding and having dialogues and responding. And then within the workshops, we are planning to have some scribes, some people to actually document these conversations. And we see these conversations and these, you know, what will come out of this work, we imagine as images, text, statements, video, things that people want to say, things that people want to bring to the conversation. Mm. And then the other aspect of our of the Mellon Project is um, taking all of these elements, 
which we are then calling dialogue elements and inputting them into a website, into a database of dialogue elements, which then can be, there will be, so in other words, imagine this website is a place where all of these different elements that have been generated through these workshops and through this week-long series of focusing on this issue, then the user who comes to this website will be able to explore what is Rutgers Newark saying? What kinds of dialogue uh-huh. is going on? What are, what are people caring about? Um, and, and, and as they explore this, um, the different elements will come up in juxtaposition to each other. So I that wish you people could see what you were doing with your hands, but then you can. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is visual. I, yeah. I apologize. But no. again, I think, I think just this idea of putting two things together and what, when you bring two things together, a message, an image, what does that say? Mm. Um, and imagine that the user will be able to explore this database through theme um, or just randomly. And so we're imagining this is not only a repository of what comes out of this week, but also an ongoing platform that can be continued to be contributed to um, that can be sorted, you know, that can actually generate some data where we can see, you know, how many people are talking about this topic? What are the ages of the people? Um, you know, what happens mm-hmm. a year later? What, what's being discussed? So I know right. that's a, a somewhat abstract um, thing to explain, but that what I just explained to you is, is the project we've been working on and something that, you know, for us is, you know, what am I excited about? I'm very excited about, about, this, about this week, um, about being part of, you know, having the, the honor of being one of the fellows and being able to collaborate with my amazing colleagues and the leadership um, on something that I hope will, you know, will really be impactful. Of course, it's right. It's, and then, it's an ex- yeah, go ahead, sir. Well, no, I mean, just the commemoration of the 75th anniversary in terms of what has Rutgers Newark been and what does it remain? And I, I love this title dialogue in a time of fracture. Yes. Because that time of fracture, that's not ending anytime very soon, I'm afraid. And so the fact that this website allows it to live and continue to collect commentary, data, responses, um, but that that is rooted in what are people at Rutgers University Newark thinking about? What are the best minds of this time and place addressing given the history of this public university in our amazing, soulful, important city in this country. Um, that's Absolutely. very and, and the- exciting. Very exciting. Um, this podcast will go live with enough time for people to learn about that. And by, by the Wonderful. time it does go live, I'm sure you will have done some more publicity about that because that in and of itself as a moment of gathering when we are coming back in person after all this time, that's going to be just so galvanizing a set of dialogues for our students, for the community, for the university. Um, And I'm sure for many, many alumni who will be brought back for these events. Absolutely. Are- and I should, I should say just one last thing about it is I didn't 
mention this specifically, but it is something we're trying to figure out, you know, because we are, you know, of Newark, we're also figuring out how do we involve, you know, our greater community in this platform, right. you know, the workshops obviously will be, um, you know, faculty led, but that is something we're trying to figure out specifically with the dialogue platform, because when it comes to, you know, if we opened it up to the public, we really have to moderate it. You know, how do we, how do we, how do we handle that? Because we will not want to keep it just Rutgers because Rutgers can't just be Rutgers folks talking. We all know that, you know, we are, we are more than that. So I just want to make that note that that is something we're trying to figure out and that is essential. Right, because of course the university has been in the city for 75 years, but it hasn't always been of the city in the way that we are now, um, you know, under the leadership of Nancy Cantor and all her team and folks like you and the other Mellon Fellows. I mean, so that, yeah, finding ways to bring the community in to contribute to and also recognize what the university being here has meant and can still continue to create meaning with the community. Absolutely. Out of of research. Beautifully said. Well, beautifully said because beautifully inspired by you. Well, just what you said made me feel that I, I did a decent job of explaining a very abstract thing at this moment. Yeah. um, I think you did a beautiful job of explaining um, what kinds of things we can look forward to come September. And thank you for that work, you and your colleagues, you and your team. And thank you, Jennifer, for this time this morning that I've been anticipating for many months. And um, we we will let you know when it goes out there live in the coming weeks. So this has been Rocksteady at Express Newark at Rutgers University, Newark. Rocksteady is hosted by Dr. Fran Bartowski. Our engineer is Eric Johnson, and our marketing and promotion is done by Dana Demiani. Our theme music is Rocksteady, recorded by Aretha Franklin, and our outro is an original rendition by violinist Dr. Melanie Hill, a Rutgers Nork professor. This podcast is a project of Express Nork, a Rutgers Nork University community collaboratory. (laughs) 